once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. No one has beaten time yet. All living things die. Mountains rise and are worn away by wind and rain. Civilizations, nations, and businesses rise and fall. Even the strongest marriages are eventually ended by death. If you want something that lasts forever, it needs to come from someone everlasting. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Great Rescue, with this message entitled, Security from an Everlasting Father, which covers Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father in heaven, we ask you that now you would open our hearts and our minds and that you would feed us with truth that will transform our hearts and set us free and yield a life that is far more honoring to you. Father, I pray that in the midst of this time that those here that are yet to find and discover a a true relationship with you, that eyes would be opened, understanding would be clear, and love would be born. We pray, Father, work in our hearts because we've spent this time here this day. We pray all in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I think it would be fair to say we would all agree that we're a people who crave security. Nothing wrong with that. We should all want security. Uh, Whether it be physical security or whether it be relational security, uh, we crave it. And I think we're seeing something happen at this time in the world in which we live where perhaps the awareness of its need has been greatly increased. When we think of physical security, you can't help but think of national security. If you're to turn on a major network to watch or listen to the reports of what's happening in the world today, you're going to find that most any time you turn it on, the discussion in some way is going to relate to the fear that exists worldwide by extremist Islamic groups that are are taking innocent life. And what are we going to do in the future? How do we protect ourselves? That's the big question going beyond national security. We think in terms of home security. Home security systems, man, now they're just becoming commonplace. It used to be only a a certain, you know, strata of the the, uh, uh, economic world, perhaps. Now, not so. Now it's almost become necessary to have some protection beyond simply the locked doors that exist. You can go beyond that and look today at, uh, at the wealthy. Uh, the wealthy people today, are uh, uh, I should not say wealthy, but famous people, uh, usually wealthy as well, have to have bodyguards. They can't go out in public and say, I'm safe, I'm secure, without somebody to protect their lives. Gated communities, health food on the increase, exercise more than ever, all of these things because there is a longing or physical security. And that's not even to mention the longing that we have for relational security. Handshakes, they're meaningless today in making agreements. Now we've got to go to the lawyers. Now we have to have contractual agreements. We know that there's the requirement for prenuptial you know, agreements between many people getting married. They just won't do it without. They say, I've got to have it because I have to know that I am secure in case of. And we all, I don't care who we are, 
We long to hear people that are important to us to say those words and know they mean it, I love you. We crave to hear those words. All having to do with a great need that we all have for security. We know the consequences. In fact, the very unattractive consequences to living in environments where there's not security. Children began to show off and even rebel as an expression of, I need attention, I want to feel secure and to be accepted and loved. We know it's true of people in marriage relationship where there begins to be a, a sense of suspicion over just anything that takes place. Are you being faithful to me? How can I know? A lot of times there's a, a sense of being very demanding as a result of just an expression of the insecurity in the relationship. We know true of parents as well, becoming very overprotective at times and not allowing their kids to do much of anything because of fear that something might happen to them. It's just a world made up of the crying need for security. And many of you know the trappings, whether it be materialism or alcohol and drug abuse or uh, maybe suicide or phobias. It just goes on and on and on. And all of this is because of a need, whether perceived or real, a need for this thing called security. In light of that, there's one thing that we could all agree, I think, has a huge factor to play in those who are very secure or perhaps those who are very insecure. It often has to do with the role of the parent and especially the father. There's something very unusual about the stability and the sense of security that comes from just the love of a father. My father, I will always be grateful for the early years. Things went awry later in my life after out of uh, high school and all, but I tell you what, I never, ever, ever questioned the love of a father. Never. I'm telling you, I heard it. I love you just flew back and forth all the time. Very normal to hear the expression of love, the affection of hugs and kisses. I remember being in high school, like I shared this years ago, high school, I'd finish a ball game and I'd just hang in the locker room till everybody was gone and the crowd had left because of my father's affection that sometimes embarrassed me, but I longed for it. I think you know what I'm talking about if you've experienced it or if you've not experienced it, the longing that we all experience for the love of a father. It's very interesting that when we come to the text that we're studying, it's about the prophetic words of, of Isaiah telling us about Jesus who's to come to this earth, and he gives him names by inspiration from God, one of which is Everlasting Father. Let's look at the text again. The series is... The great rescue, we're talking about the security that comes from an everlasting father, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. We've already taught through the entire text. If you've missed previous uh, parts of this series, feel free to go back and podcast it and listen to it. But uh, let's read uh, verse 6, which is the heart of where this prophecy comes in giving the names of Jesus. It says, for a child will be born to us, 
A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then Prince of Peace. Let's put up the, uh, the names here, and you can see beside them uh, what we're looking at week to week. First of all, Wonderful Counselor, we talked about uh, the need for guidance. That if we are going to be rescued, and we're in a context here where God's people, particularly the people of Judah, the southern tribes of Israel, are being threatened by Assyria. I've walked through the broader history, but they're being pressured that they're going to be invaded and their, and their existence could be annihilated. They know that. And so they need a plan and so God is saying, you just trust me. But the reality is the bigger plan that Isaiah is introducing to us here is one that would be our deliverer, Messiah, who would come to take away our biggest problem to rescue us from our own sin. We've got to have a plan. That's what the guidance counselor does. This wonderful counselor, he says, here's the plan. And by the way, it's absolutely opposite from what the world thinks at large, what many in religion even think today, and that is the plan is just work hard, live a good life, be moralistic, be religious, be sincere at those things, and then when you die, God will take care of you. You'll be okay. There is nothing that could be further from the truth. The whole plan that's introduced is one that would come as a one to rescue by his own death to pay for the sin that has to be accounted for to be rescued. And so after introducing the idea of wonderful counsel, he follows it with mighty God. Literally, the idea is, is a heroic God. Oh, oh, it's one thing to have a plan. Uh, uh, here's what works, and here's how it could happen. Unfortunately, there's nobody that can pull it off. And so the idea of Almighty God shows the strength of God, and we walk deeply into that subject matter, how strong a God we have. There's nothing for him to be able to do everything required to deliver us from our sin. Now we look at Everlasting Father. We turn to the idea that now, oh, there's got to be more now. There's got to be not just somebody capable of doing it, the right plan, the capability, but somebody who cares enough, loves enough to say, I will do what's necessary. Because of my love for you, I will pay the cost to perform the rescue. Which leaves us with the last piece, which is Prince of Peace, and obviously the idea of peace that comes from all that has taken place in this great rescue. Again, we think about the story of Israel, or Judah in this case, but what about you and me? It is the same story of failure to trust that we all labor to figure out. How do I trust him? Why don't I trust him? What will it take to make me trust him? Because we think about, okay, you've said it's all what you do, not what we do, and I'm still here performing as if I have to perform for your love. I look at relationships, and I think, oh, I've got to have this relationship. God, I know what you say. You will provide, and only to marry such and such a type of people and only do this. But God, I, I tell you, I, I'm, just, I'm just afraid that I'll be left insecure relationally if I don't do it my way. 
We think in terms of our physical needs, and I know, God, what you say about stewardship. I know what you say, and I know how you provide, and I know you take care, and I know, but I just, I can't believe it. I've got to provide it for me myself and trust my own strength, even if I have to compromise the truth that you have made clear. And that's the struggle that you and I have every day. So very important that we begin to understand this idea of everlasting father. Now here's the question, why is Jesus called father? We need to know first of all, there's no reference here to an inter-Trinitarian relationship. It's not saying that Jesus is the father, but I like perhaps how H.C. Leupold, how he uh, How he describes it as a commentator, he says, the term father is used to refer to the loving paternal concern that Christ has for those who have been committed to his charge. So now having looked at the plan and the capacity and so forth, we now look at the security that comes from an everlasting father. This is really talking about the spirit of the attitude that motivates our Jesus to continue through and do the rescue that he performs. Now, if you look in your outline, you'll see that there are two assurances that I want to address very briefly. These two assurances are required uh, for us to really know security. If any of us here, and we all are to some degree, but if whoever of us are, are battling with insecurity, how do you really deal with insecurity? What's the answer to that? And I think you can actually summarize the answer to that very simply in two words. Kids, uh, I know most of our kids are at Kids Quest, but if you're not and you're here, let me say this to you. You listen carefully to this too because this will be your ticket to be able to grow up in a world where everybody's competing to find out where are they in the relational security ladder, and you're going to see it a whole different way if you ever understand this here. Now, the first word is the word love. Love is key. Now, what I'm going to do from this point, it's going to be a very brief message from here on out. And it's just simply an expression of logic. There's not going to be anything that insightful, but something that we need to hear over and over again as profoundly as we possibly can. So here it is. Two thoughts. Number one, under love. Human love can easily be taken away. We know that whether it be relational distance or relational desertion. In terms of distance, you and I know what it is to be in physical contact, to be very close physically, but to be otherwise very distant. So Carol and I are in the room together at our home, And she says, Randy, and I said, yes, and she says something to me. And then I turned around and asked her a question, and she said, that's what I just told you. You didn't hear a word I said, did you? I said, well, I heard a word or two. I just didn't (laughs) hear the meaning and exactly what you were saying. And, of course, that's not a pleasant thing for someone talking, and they're looking at you, and they're not listening Oh, physically close, but relationally distant. You know, that's the story of many of us in marriages. Well, that's a small little thing there. But I'm talking about people who say, we are married. We live together. 
And we're as distant as you can possibly be. We're not living a married life. We're just living in the same home. Many of us know what that is with parents or with children. Oh, still going through the motions, might still show up for Christmas, might still, but you know there is such a separation between the two. It's so thick you can cut it. Something is missing. There is relational distance. It's so easy to be a part of anybody's life. When you think in terms of the relational desertion, divorce, probably a, a large minority of the people here who are adults have experienced divorce. That's just the way it is today. People make a contract. They say we're committed for a lifetime. I vow. And without even biblical grounds, they desert. They leave. Many of you have been deserted by parents. I went through desertion with my father. Many of you know the story. Once I'm in college, had such a wonderful upbringing, thought everything was so good. My father leaves a letter one day. He says, goodbye, I'm gone forever. I can remember that day when I drove in my car for the first time after hearing it. I can remember driving down the road, and I had to pull off the road because I was crying so hard. I knew I couldn't keep the car. I couldn't see the road. The pain of desertion. So many of you know it. Just me talking about this has brought back memories and thoughts that are so painful. I'm telling you, we, we know it. Human love can easily, easily be taken away. However, number two under there is that divine love can never be taken away. Never be taken away. There's no desertion. There's not even distance from God's viewpoint, what he's doing. Now, let me put up a few scriptures. Matthew 28, great text in verse 20. It says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll tell you this, anybody that's been deserted, that hears somebody say to them, hey, I'll be with you always to the end of the age, and you can believe it, makes all the difference in the world. Hebrews 13 Fifth verse says, for he himself, Jesus, has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, now he's experienced everything we're about to read. And this is what he says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword then he goes on in verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That word overwhelmingly conquer literally means we are super conquerors. How? Through him who loved us or loves us. See, that's the point that Paul is making. He's saying the love of God is so great that I don't care all these things, nothing can happen to separate from the love of God. Paul went through all those. How many of us find ourselves in our circumstances and say, look at the distress, look at the problems I'm going, I, I, God must not love me. He might, Paul didn't say that. He said, no, 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 no. None of that will separate us from the love of God. In fact, he goes on in verses 38 and 39, and he says, I'll go beyond all of those things. He says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing. You go beyond this world. Go to the powers, the principalities, evil, good, doesn't matter. You can't find anything that can or ever will separate you from the love of God. Divine love, it's there. Do you know that churches are filled today where they are proclaiming as I grew up hearing in the church that I was raised in, hey, you can lose the love of God. All you got to do is you do something painful wrong. Do something that's really bad. At the time of your death, make, make sure you're living right because at the time of your death, if you're, if you're in a hiccup moment spiritually, you're in big, big, big trouble. There are people here who saw on a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, as we see the, the film that we use, that say, oh, my memory, my past, my history. Oh, I'm doomed. I, I'm one of those. I can No. He says nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Certainly not an abortion. There's nothing, height, death, principality, power, any even. There's nothing that can separate you from my love. You know, we just need to hear that over and over. You take divine love and believe that you've got it with the reality of experience and backed up by the truth of God. You got divine love. Then you add to this number two, which number two is life. You got to have life. Love and life, those two make living what it is designed to be. And so... Human life, number one, can easily be taken away. Now, we know that. It's simple. We know disease is going to take away the quality of life. Death ends the breathing process, and life on earth as we know it is over. We know that. But we have to remember that eternal life can never be taken away. Never. Look at a few texts. John 3, verse 36. He who believes, that word means trust, in the Son has eternal life has eternal life John 17 verse 3 this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent and then there is a third passage that comes out of the 10th chapter of John and in this text Jesus is being approached by very religious Jewish people and they've come to him and they're asking, you know, what about you? Are you really? And how can you say? And all these things. And he says, look, I've told you and I've showed you that I'm who I claim to be. And then he picks up with these words. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I, and then I put in 
color here. The Father are one. That's a way of saying he's God. They're one together in unity. They are persons of the triune God, equal in power, substance, and glory. But he's not saying, I am the Father. He's saying, I and the Father are one. Everlasting Father is simply the role of his love in relationship. I want to take you back to the first. If we could go back to the first of that uh, passage there. I want you to see what it says in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That idea of follow. Anybody that's been meeting with me to investigate Christianity, they've heard this over and over, over a period of four or five weeks when I'm meeting with them, they'll hear me say this three, four, five times. We'll come out of John, and we'll see a text, and I'll say, what is the requirement for somebody to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to make sure by the end I, time I leave this person meeting with them that they know the answer is the thing that's required to be a follower is you have to what? Follow. you got to follow. And I warn them, be careful because there are going to be plenty of people you're going to run into who say, oh, I'm a follower. I just don't follow. And that raises a question for many here. So, well, wait, 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 I don't follow perfectly. I mean, at what degree are you now not a follower and you are? How far do you get offline? No, no, you've got to understand it this way. What is a follower? A follower says there's someone in the lead. And my eyes are on the lead. And that's where I'm trying to go. I want to go there. Now, the perfect follower takes one step in front of the next and follows right in the same pathway. That would be the sinless human does not exist. We're all going to come off path somewhat. But what are we doing? I've got a heart intention because I know who he is and he's my master and that's my intention, desire, and hope to follow. However, I am struggling to figure out how to follow very well and as a result, I go a little off this way and then I might turn a little bit this way to correct and I get off again and I get off again. And I, but I'm moving toward him. I'm following. I'm just... I'm just not where I want to be in the way I'm following, but I truly have a heart's desire to follow as opposed to somebody who says, oh, you know what, I live the way I want to live. I do what I want to do. I, I mean, I, I believe in religion and God and Jesus and all that, but no, that's not a real follower. A follower says, there's where I'm going. That's where I want to get to. Very important to understand. Ultimate security assures life, and not just life, but eternal life. I tell you, you put together the combination of divine love and eternal life. You live in an environment consumed with that belief and thought. And I tell you what happens. We become secure people. Then we walk in the presence of someone who has a whole lot more than me, who's a whole lot more attractive than me, who's had a whole lot more success than me, I don't care who you're with. You find those people. And you'll be able to say, and your immediate thought can be, you know what? They may be loved by God, but I'll tell you this. They're not loved by God more than I am. I mean, those people have no evidence of being loved by God in the sense of being children or followers. And I can say, you know, God, they got a lot, but you know what I've got? I've got the two things that count. I have got divine love. I've got eternal life. Oh, man, what do I need beyond? I can be secure with just that. 
And that's true of all of us. It is true of all of us. And we believe that this love, humanly speaking, and life relationally, or, or love relationally, and life as we know it physically can be taken away. We all believe that. There's nobody that doubts it. And there are many of us who say at the same time, and I do believe that if you have divine love, it'll never be taken away. It is perfect love. I believe that I have eternal life. I will live forever. And then at the same time, find ourselves making daily decisions that just seem so contrary to those beliefs. And we think, you know what? No, no, no. I have to find financial security the way I have to find it. I can't depend upon God. I cannot do that. I have to do it this way. I cannot do it God's way. Or it comes to the issue of human relationships. I know God says this is not a right person for me to engage in marriage. But I have to because if I don't, then I will be left in a position of life that is not good. Therefore, I have to do what I have to do. I have to leave my spouse, even though God says, no, I can't trust him in this. I have to take this into my own hand. And that's the story of our lives. How do we deal with that? I'll tell you what has to happen. We have to meet Jesus in a love relationship and start understanding this isn't just Jesus, historical man who lived and great God and did wonderful things. But we say, no, this is the, this is the wonderful counselor. This is mighty God. This is everlasting Father. This is Prince of Peace. And the next thing you know, we're beginning to see life a lot differently. And we see that this thing called the gospel is worth consuming us because the gospel is simply this, that we're broken people. We're in need of rescue. We have no help. And in fact, God cannot love us in that condition. He can't do it. It's against his own words to show love to someone who is going to be in the condition of sin unforgiven. So what does he do? He sends his own son. And Jesus comes, as these four names describe, as the rescuer. And with that, he takes us by paying the penalty that we deserve to pay. He pays the penalty so that we might get rescued. That's the love of an everlasting father. And some of us don't really see the magnitude of that. You see, what really has happened is in eternity past, though we don't understand this, but according to the word of God, he chose to put his love on us. And once he did that, we became the targets of his love. And then he goes beyond just saying, okay, that's who, uh, he goes so far as to call us to himself. I mean to woo us where we're going one direction, wanting to keep going the other direction, and something pulls us that amazes us as we see his grace and we find a love relationship being born. At that moment, we are justified by a perfect God. He declares us to be fully and totally righteous forever and ever and ever. Name the sin. Put it in there. doesn't matter. Loved forever. And then beyond that, he says, and I'm going to keep drawing you into a relationship with me closer and closer. I'm going to sanctify you until the day that I'm going to remove all sin, the presence of sin, and you're going to be bathed in glory, which is renown and splendor, as you will never, ever imagine. That is the love of an almighty God. And when we begin to see that this Christianity is not just, okay, outside, follow Jesus, I'll be a better person, I'll be like him. And no, no, no. 
It's coming into this incredible relationship with an everlasting Father that we love and get to know better and better. How do you see His love the best? A lot of ways, but look at the cross of Jesus Christ. You go to the cross and you see that kind of love that even though we're enemies and we hate Him, we don't want Him, He says, I'm going to do this for you because I know what love is. It's giving you what you need, not what you want, and I'm going to pay for your sin. And with that comes a love born in our hearts that's fed as we keep looking at the great love and life that He gives. So to all of us, we all want security. You want to get to the place that you can do away with the human stuff as, as my priority? And get rid of that stuff that says, okay, this will be the alternate, the substitute for what God... Then you look at the great love of an everlasting Father. You see that, and security level starts to rise as we pray together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray now that you would grant us to live consumed with the truths of your love and the life that you give. Thank you that neither can be taken away once bestowed upon us. And may your love for us cause us to love you all the more. We'd like to say forgiveness, ask forgiveness, and to say we're sorry for the way that we've let all of the things of life and love on this earth to find security as opposed to looking to you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like the, the people of the Old Testament days of Judah who would look to the world and its ways to find its security. May we look to you and your ways alone. Grant that, we pray, and we thank you. In the great name of Christ our Savior, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.